So from the user perspective, we, we have to remember that the data isn't just for these applications, it's for users at the end of the day, users who will be looking around for this data, accessing the data and modifying the data. So if we aren't using proper controls, that means the user uh, may make an error if, you know, unintentionally, or they may get fished and intentionally through that hacker have our data get lost. Um, so from a human element perspective, it really goes all the way up from who you're hiring to when you do the offboard. Hey nerds, Monica here. Welcome to the Data Podcast for Nerds, where we get to talk to amazing professionals and ask them all about how they're using data to solve the world's problems. We're highlighting skills that data professionals use on a daily basis. Plus, we always include some fun bits because we're all nerds here and we love to have fun. So thank you for tuning in. And if you haven't already, please like and subscribe. And as always, folks, happy learning. Today with us, we have Nate Parkhurst. How are you doing today, Nate? I'm doing fantastic. How about yourself, Monica? I am also doing fantastic. <laughs> awesome. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. So we typically start off our episodes by understanding people's origin stories. So if you could please tell us about your background and how you got to where you are today in your career. So uh, I've always been interested in computing. From a long age, young age, I learned how to type. I've always been better uh, dealing with data on a screen than dealing with data on a paper. Um, when I was about 11 to 12 is when I started to get into like cloud computing, stuff like that, by doing game servers, Gary's Mod, Minecraft. And most nowadays, you can just do a simple click and it's all set up. Uh, not how it was back then. Back then, I was writing plugins, uh, coding, all kinds of uh, stuff like that that leads into my current work to even to this day ports networking all that leads into the cloud um that knowledge built together alongside what i was doing additional research on by the age of 16 let me start to manage uh, my high school's it infrastructure and i also started doing consulting work on the side um what i now call hyperion it cyber consulting um this this was something that I I've always been continuously working on. I've been having going on in the side. I've had these customers for about six years at this point, uh, acting as everything from an MSP to answering their questions and how to solve a problem. Um, so seeing that and considering my young age, I had an opportunity to get a free college degree through my state's Excelsior program to a community college. So I went and got my uh, associates in computer information systems which further let me build into the bachelor's I'm working on finishing right now. Um, but in the meantime, I've been doing the consulting and I also currently work for the college I attend. Um, I work in their SOC. I work on passion projects. I work for a world-class MSSP. I'm kind of all over the place to be honest with you. Um, I deal with data all over the place. It's all the time. I also deal with the human element. Um, it's a very important thing. Uh, that's why I, for example, from a dispatchers, I'm minoring in political science. Um, I also hold SOC leadership roles, so I understand how to work with my people. Uh, I also know how to work on a team. It's very important to have the people around you working, working with them together because you don't get anything done alone, to be honest with you in this field. Um, so to continue, um, I got into the SOC role after a mandatory internship that was part of that degree program to finish my bachelor's. I made the most of it. Um, it was an unpaid mandatory internship, which I then turned into a tier two role, helping run their SOC, doing 
uh, AI work in their SOC, designing solutions that allow the organization to punch up using that consulting experience. Um, this allows us to be more modern and to provide a better service and more value to the community. Um, and as I mentioned, I now work for Bright. They're a world-class MSSP. I work in their SOC. I'm very proud to be working for them. I combine these roles together kind of skill-wise, and they all benefit each other. And I also love to bring data into my hobbies and stuff like that. I do uh, use data in my gardening. Um, you know, data is everywhere. Data is everywhere. I love when I can get like cyber nerds onto the show to because data in cyber really does overlap. And plus cyber is my background as well. So I love nerding out on it. For the folks that might not be as familiar with the cyber side, you mentioned SOC a lot. Can you just please go into what that means and describe that? Yeah, I'd be glad to. So uh, SOC stands for Security Operations Center. Um, and this is where an organization or whomever is running their security operations out of. They're doing monitoring, they're engineering solutions, uh, keeping an eye on things, finding ways to improve policy, stuff like that. Anything security related, we will do in the SOC. Um, and there, you know, there are more ways you can learn and improve it. There's different implementations of the SOC. Like at Bright, for example, we are a SOC, but we also outsource and become other people's SOC to some extent. Um, as it's kind of funny, actually, I work for Lemoyne and their SOC, but we also have an MSSP CrowdStrike who has their own SOC that manages their own. So there's a bunch of overlap at times, but uh, sorry if I went a bit over, basically SOC, Security Operations Center. <laughs> no worries. I love uh, just learning more about the details and the background and whatnot. Um, you said that Bright is itself a SOC. Where are you located? So I'm able to work remote. I have my own SOC I set up locally that I work from. Um, so Bright themselves, they're located out of Victor. They're one of the fastest growing MSSPs. Um, I think they've been in the top 5,000 list. Top 5,000 Inc. is what it is. Um, and so for, when I work for Lemoyne, I'm, I'm in the building, I'm sitting in the sack with my interns. I run the internship program too, alongside with my team, um, giving this experience to them. Um, but for Bright, as far as that goes, I can really be, be a sack anywhere working with my team. Oh, that's fascinating. So the reason why I asked that is because in Arizona, we're kind of like a hub for a lot of the data centers because of our weather. So we're really good. I mean, it's dry. It's, you know, the, it, it, we don't have a lot of weather here. So it's like, oh, you know, let's just house all of our servers there. Um, I actually don't know a lot of socks that can be remote. So that's pretty fascinating that that's also a remote job. Yes. Um, and the it, it, it's very hard to do remote. Like I could not do my Lemoyne role remote. It's because of the nature of uh, mentoring interns, uh, stuff like that, teaching the tier ones, working with them. Uh, but in my other remote role, they have it set. Their culture is kind of more set up for that. So from the ground up, it's kind of designed where I'm working remote, but I feel like I'm a part of the team. I'm working with the team and the technology makes it so I don't even notice I'm working outside the office. Okay. Very cool. Very cool. So with uh, this being a cybersecurity nerd out session and all of this is going to be fun, we're just going to head right into all of the fun bits off the awesome. <laughs> Hey, nerd, are you looking for a career in data? I would absolutely love to help you out. I just launched a data career strategy program that helps folks break into data without breaking anything. 
I provided a link in the show notes if you want to learn more information about it. Now, back to the fun bits. First off, you mentioned that you do a lot of side projects, and I want to dig into like what kind of data do you use in your side projects, and what are your favorite like data cyber problems that you like to solve? Um, well, for example, I I just designed a, I just released a package the other day for a new program that um, takes IP addresses and spits out four URLs for four different sources. Um, so. I'm like, who is, for example, is what I'm using. Uh, NX uh, Blacklist, um, Virus Total. Uh, I'm not sure if that fit in the program or not, but there are four very good sources. Um, so I like to use it to solve problems everywhere, right? So that data from who is, I can get that in four sites, look at it like that. Um, I also use data in my gardening, for example. I keep uh, exact spreadsheets on my yields for my plants. So I know exactly how everything's doing. And every year I've been, I've been seeing my yields go up. Yeah. Yeah. So with gardening, you have strawberries. Is that correct? I have some strawberries, uh, among other veggies and stuff too. My grandmother grows with me. We grow outside in her backyard. There's some pictures on my LinkedIn. I posted about half a year ago. Um, I plan to make it bigger (laughs) this, this summer once I, uh, have the time to set it up and it's not freezing out here. Like it is New York. You know, I live in New York, very cold, not much plants growing outside at the moment, unfortunately. But once the weather gets back up, I, I plan to grow more stuff. We've been having discussions about what plants we're going to grow next. But yeah, I love strawberries. They're a really nice plant. They're very hardy. And um, they're really cool with how they reproduce, just sending off suckers that kind of just move around. Yeah. So what kind of data are you tracking with your strawberries? So I try and keep track of things like the amounts of strawberries uh, I've gotten from them, how long it's taken, right? The time period, stuff like that is very important. And if you can take track of the yields, the time period, alongside like what fertilizers you're using, what new nutri- what ratios are in that fertilizer, um, you can get a holistic view over time. Uh, and of course, there's always confounding variables when it comes to stuff uh, like pests, for example. But having the data in front of you can let you know when stuff like that is about to happen. So if I see all of a sudden my last uh, set of strawberries have not very much come out, there might have been a problem there I need to go revisit in terms of my strategy. And that's happened before. I've had to go back, revisit my strategy, and it, it's benefited every time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And what do you plan on doing with your strawberries? I kind of want to make some jam at some point once I get enough of them. I didn't have enough last season because we only had one little dainty plant we had left inside over the winter. We put it outside. It kind of came back to life, but it wasn't, wasn't put enough berries like I wanted. I'm planning on getting a few more this next season. Uh, but I'd really like to make some jelly and jams. Okay, that sounds really good. On toast, bagels, English muffins, what's your favorite bread of choice? I I love a p- good old PBJ, peanut butter and jelly. Nice, nice. Have you ever had a French toast PB&J? I don't think I have. It sounds pretty good, though. It's wonderful, actually. <laughs> so you need to try that out once you get enough strawberries. Yeah, for sure. I'm, I'm definitely <laughs> going to have to now. <laughs> So with this skill set that you have um, gotten from tracking all of this data with your strawberries, what kinds of skills there help you in your day job in cyber? Well, a lot of cyber spotting anomalies, right? So there's a spike here that tells me someone might be sending out data, or there's a whole bunch of information on an account that hasn't been moved in a while. That tells me something might be wrong. 
It's the same thing with the data on my gardening. If I see that spike for some reason, uh, or you know, normally being upside down spike in gardening, unfortunately, um, that tells me there's something wrong. There's an anomaly that needs to be fixed. So, like for example, if I'm looking at different plants like um, tomatoes and strawberries, and I see my tomatoes have consistent yields, but my strawberries drop, that tells me I did something wrong with those strawberries. Mm -hmm. So then how do you learn and adapt when you're working with your strawberries using that data? So um, I, as I said, I keep kind of a meticulous track of how they grow. Um, and that kind of informs my decisions. So if I'm not getting the expected yields, for example, I'll go look at the fertilizers I'm using. I'll go swap fertilizers. I'll find a better one. Um, like, for example, I recently with some plants last time I grew outside, um, I was prior just using some straight out of the bag soil, but I started to add extra fertilizer this time, uh, extra organic stuff like that, worm castings, uh, all the good stuff that plants love. And while I didn't get the exact yields I wanted at the end of the day, it was a much more beautiful fuller garden. And with strawberries, unfortunately, strawberries can go bad. Yes. And I just recently learned that data can also go bad. Uh, can you explain about that? <laughs> So um, the data itself, you know, as you know, is ones and zeros that's written onto some sort of medium. And the medium itself, as with any other material, has a lifespan. So, for example, floppy disks, um, some sources, crappy ones will go maybe five years, a really high quality one, maybe 20 years. Um, that's because these devices, uh, the elements will eventually corrupt and degrade them. Hard drives will last much longer, SSDs much, much longer. Um, those are the benefits of these newer technologies. Um, but data over time can degrade, even on an error checking hard drive, uh, data corruption exists and is a problem to data sets. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What about data that's on CDs? Like, can I install my AOL again if I wanted to? <laughs> it depends on how uh, rotted the disk is. <laughs> CDs, for example, the, the, the medium they're made out of is very uh, chintzy, I think, would be the word I want to use. It's it's just whatever plastic they etched it into. And they're already very easy to destroy. You just scratch the back of it and you can't read it anymore. Um, you leave that out in a cover for 10 years, maybe it's okay. You leave it out on your table for 10 years, well, good luck. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, when you have scratches on your CD, can't you just like buff it out with your with your breath or like some toothpaste? Is, was that a thing? Am I misremembering that it from my kinda, childhood? It is kind of a folk thing. Yeah, I think I remember that too, trying to do that to like some 360 games back in the day. Um, it would occasionally work just enough that it wouldn't skip that specific thing, but that's always a temporary fix. And it's not, I wouldn't say it's exactly good for the lifespan of the, the medium. Though yeah, it's already broken at that point, right? <laughs> that's a good point. That's a good point. And then talking about like just having your data lie around, what kinds of risks are involved with that and what you should what should you do? So there are a lot of risks when it comes to data at rest. Um, there's also risks to data at motion, but um, at rest, data corruption is a big issue, right? Data goes bad with time as we were discussing, even on hard drives, right? Something will get overwritten in the wrong spot. Um, how hard drives work, you know, they have different sectors that move around. The program looks for the right sector to run in. If it writes to the wrong sector, well, congratulations, your program no longer works. Um, so that's a big issue we have to kind of deal with in terms of uh, data at rest. We also have to deal with someone snooping on it or uh, the 
app in access management not being set right. Someone taking a look at a file they shouldn't have access to. Um, there's also the legal considerations for the data. Some data from legal perspectives is worth more than others. Like certain PII falls under the New York Shield Act. For, and if that got released, we would be in much bigger trouble than if say, uh, some old math equations we didn't care about were released onto the internet. Yep, yep. So with data that's just lying around that's no longer used, what would you advise folks to do with that? Um, there are a couple methods, but generally I'd recommend either you you get bleach fit and you run it about seven times as the NSA recommends and you completely zero out that device. Or you take it outside with a hammer or a crusher or another kind of shredding device and you make sure that medium can never be seen again. What's your favorite uh, device to destroy media? Um, magnets are pretty fun, but uh, nothing beats just a crook of the crusher putting a big old hard drive right there. Okay, okay. It reminds me of those, have you ever taken a video? Like, you know those slow-mo guys on YouTube? <laughs> Yeah, the hydraulic presses, right? The, those look really fun, too, to use for that, to be honest. I haven't had the opportunity to, but I would do it in a heartbeat. Well, if you do, please take a video of it so I can watch it. I will, for sure. <laughs> and then you talked a little bit about the human element. Can we deep dive into that? Yeah, so um, I'm very big on AI and stuff like that. Uh, I'm an NVIDIA-approved educator. Um, some people would say that and go, oh, I'm all technical, all that. No, people matters just as much as the tech in this aspect. That data at Rust we mentioned, most of the time that gets inappropriately accessed is because a user made an error. It's not the software making error. Uh, phishing attacks, social engineering, that's how a hacker really gets into systems these days. Um, so from the user perspective, we, we have to remember that the data isn't just for these applications. It's for users at the end of the day users who will be looking around for this data, accessing the data and modifying the data. So if we aren't using proper controls, that means the user uh, may make an error if, you know, unintentionally, or they may get fished and intentionally through that hacker have our data get lost. Um, so from a human element perspective, it really goes all the way up from who you're hiring to when you do the offboarding. Um, the whole way ensuring that that data at rest has its confidentiality, its integrity, and its availability ensured. Mm -hmm. And then since humans are involved and responsible for protecting that data, what is the best way to go about, say, like training folks on how to properly protect that data? Because there's a statistic out there. I can't remember what exactly number it is, but... Not a lot of folks really like taking their cybersecurity trainings. So how do you get that like education more out there so that folks kind of like pay more attention and really care more about it? Um, it's kind of a several prong process. It, it, it in itself is kind of a tall order. Um, I think the most effective way is for people to understand that security is everyone's responsibility. And at the end of the day, if you mess up and get your organization breached, that's not, oh, I'm bad at tech. Oh, I don't want to learn this. That's you didn't do your job and you didn't perform the training that you're supposed to do. Um, it's like a driving, right? You don't get on the road without a license and then expect everything to be fine. You, in this modern day and age, when you're on the internet, you need to go and get your training, go and do your research. You don't click on a phishing link. So you don't read misinformation and take it as truth. Mm -hmm. 
That's interesting that you brought up driving just because now with like the self-driving vehicles or like the Teslas that apparently you don't need to hit the gas or the brake. It just does it themselves. <laughs> yeah, they are interesting. Uh, those te those Teslas, they're they're interesting cars. They just recalled another 200,000 of them because of that self-driving had another failure. I also heard that a lot of them were... Um, what was it? They're frozen. The The batteries just froze up because they didn't take into account the different temperatures throughout the world. And so it was just like a funny uh, example of like bad testing. <laughs> yeah. The, the, as, as with any data, <laughs> it's always comes down to the testing and it, they, they did that when you do your data testing, uh, just like a car testing on a very clean, narrow track uh, without any fuzzing or anything, you don't really know what's going on with that device or, or data. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, no, it's it, the Tesla self-driving cars. They're they're very interesting. I'm of the opinion that it's, it's kind of a gimmick. It, some people might disagree with me there. A lot of the features they advertise as self-driving, other car manufacturers have, and they just call it automated assist or something like that. Um, NVIDIA themselves works on their own self-driving technology. You don't see them advertising it like that. That's a good point. So what is NVIDIA involved in, in that aspect? So the NVIDIA has the NVIDIA drive system, which Mercedes-Benz uses. Um, yeah. And I think it's a tier four. They're working on a tier five at the moment. Their focus has been on safety and testing in real world environments. Mm-hmm. They're also not making the whole car. NVIDIA is just a data company, AI company, right? So they can make it. Tesla's trying to be something. Uh, they're a car company trying to design an AI. Um, mm -hmm. That is what it is from a technical point of view. Um, NVIDIA, on the other hand, they are a data company using data to make more data products. That just fits what they do. Yeah. Yeah. So these are all very interesting topics that you don't really just know about without learning about them, right? So how, if anybody's interested in any of these cool like uh, technology or cybersecurity topics, what would your advice be to learn these types of topics or what's your favorite way to learn new things? So first off, I love to learn by doing, um, but that's not to say that you can't go and learn more from other people and watching. Uh, I attend tons of trainings and workshops. I just signed up for another NVIDIA workshop. AWS invited me to one for the coming weeks. I'm going to try and attend. Um, always improve, always find stuff to do. Um, in terms of resources to look for, um, ISC2, their cybersecurity organization I'm a part of, they are offering a 1 million certified cybersecurity program at the moment, offering free training and free certifications. Uh, all you have to do is pay your annual membership fee at the end of the day. Once you, once you pass the test, you don't have to pay anything until you pass that test. And that'll get you as part of a reputable organization and get you really good training. It's really, really well-made training. Um, especially considering it's free, there's a whole lot of value there. Um, additionally, on the AI technical end, um, the NVIDIA Deep Learning Institute is a cornucopia of knowledge, to be honest with you. Um, I've taken a real-time workshop with one of their senior data scientists. It was phenomenal. I learned so much. I designed hands-on a project of a conversational EMEA chatbot using NVIDIA's full stack, the same stack that's now being implemented by Microsoft, AWS, Snowflake, um, all over the place, um, the NVIDIA NEMO framework. 
Um, additionally, there's stuff on there like the disaster risk management, so, something like that, utilizing satellite imagery. And it's tied into the UNISAT, United Nations. So really in terms of training, you're getting to learn the use the latest technologies, the best of the best. Um, so I'd recommend that. That course is free, by the way, that on the NVIDIA Deep Learning Institute. Um, same with that ISC2, 1 million certified in cybersecurity. Very cool. Um, I'm part of ISACA. I think that's because I'm uh, my background's mostly in auditing, and they have a lot of security auditing. Um, they have a cybersecurity training as well. So I don't know if you've heard of ISACA before or part of that. I think I have. Um, I think they came up as they have a. I'm trying to do my CSIP at some point. I think they have a. It was either them or GIAC that had like a kind of a competitor version of mm -hmm. it that I was yep. looking at. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of good organizations out there for sure. Yeah, and considering the battlefield we got out there at the moment, it's a good thing too. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, do you have any final recommendations or words of encouragement for the audience members out there? Yeah, um, stay optimistic. Um, there's a lot of bad news coming in this tech field, jobs going away, stuff like that. Um, it's a matter of finding your niche and finding your way, trying to knock the curveballs out of the park where you can, and when you can't, accepting that. Um, focus on finding good solutions to, you know, the current problems, and that will allow us to build something better, in my opinion. And by viewing these challenges as opportunities, that's how we can actually overcome them. For example, these challenges we're facing in guardrails with LLMs that we're seeing on the news or misinformation in our elections. Um, these are problems that can only be faced head on by acknowledging the problem and finding a solution. Absolutely. Well, thank you so very much, Nate, for coming on the show and sharing all this nerdy cyber knowledge with us. <laughs> thank you so much for having me. It was really great to be on here. Um, if all, any of the audience members have any questions for you, where can they find and or follow you? So I'm on LinkedIn, uh, Nate Parkhurst. Um, feel free to go add me, connect me, ask me any questions you want. I'm always glad to help anyone out in this field. Um, I just did a mock interview for one of my former interns the other day. I'm very glad to help anyone out. Awesome. Well, thank you so much again. And as always, folks, happy learning.